Well, thank the Lord it's springtime in the great state of Texas. And that typically means that you can be sure that across this great state, a storm can arise like that. Am I right about it? It can be sunny one minute and storming the next because we live in Texas. Last Sunday evening, we were uh, in the process of trying to get our annual church business meeting started, which we did conduct, bless the Lord, and, uh, but a storm blew in just about that hour and uh, lots of folks opted to uh, not try to battle the storm or come to that meeting out of concern for what the storm might do. So that was just a reminder to all of us how quickly things can, can turn around. Well, we do live in Texas and we certainly have a history in this part of the country of having to battle some of the most fierce storms uh, that this nation has ever seen or experienced. There are certainly many instances in the, both the Old and New Testament of storms being mentioned in Scripture. Probably, uh, if you're the first one that comes to your mind, if you're like me, is the one that is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'm going to ask you to help me read the text. If you would stand one last time and read to me the text from Mark Chapter 4 is where we're going to take our text from today. We're going to start with reading in verses 35 through 41. If you're opening your own Bible or read off the screen, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Read with a loud voice. Here we go. Go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. If I was Pastor Michael preaching this while you were reading, I would have had a boat brought onto the <laughs> platform, and a few people swimming to try to get to it, but I'm not him, so you can be seated. <clears throat> If you'll give me your undivided attention for just a few minutes this morning, I'm going to talk to you on the familiar topic, hidden in the storm, hidden in the storm. Weather is always a topic of uh, conversation, discussion here in our great state, whether people are talking about the extreme heat that we are capable of having in Fort Worth, Texas, and the drought it can bring, or the severe storms that can roll in, typically coming in from the west. Did you know that there are about 100,000 thunderstorms each year in America? One in 10 of those storms are considered severe. In Texas, severe weather can mean billions of dollars worth of damage 
power outages and even extreme uh, hailstones. I just wonder if you happen to know this morning what part of Texas has the worst weather. Raise your hand if you think you know what part of Texas has the worst weather. Come on, where's the true Texans in the room this morning? Well, I happened to do my homework on this, and a study was conducted to discover which counties in each state have the, the, the most severe weather. According to this study, and I can give you my sources to it later if you're interested, the county in Texas with the most severe weather is Tarrant County. We're number one at something, folks. It's true. I didn't believe it when I saw it. Harris County, which is Houston, may get the most uh, tornadoes, but the overall most severe weather is in Tarrant County. Hallelujah. Something to be proud of, right? (laughs) Tarrant County had 576 severe weather events from 2010 to 2020 the most common being hail, thunderstorms, and flash flooding. And who knows, the way we're going, we could have a storm before this day is over with. Here's what this study, just a few interesting facts here, at least I found it interesting, had to say about our, the study said this about our wonderful county. The cost of damage to cars, buildings, and crops from U.S. hailstorms now averages about $15 billion a year compared to 1.2 1.2 billion back in the 90s. Well, why is that? It's because all the Californians have moved into Texas. We love you. But they've all moved here and built homes and there's more stuff that can be damaged in the weather. That's why the number's more. That's why the price tag today is because of all the strong development of regions like Tarrant County that are prone to hailstorms like we have here. A hailstorm that pounded our area in 1995 damaged an estimated $2 billion in damages. Another storm in 2016 cost about $2.2 billion in damages. All that to say, we know a little something about fierce storms here because we live in Tarrant County and all of God's people said. (laughs) In the passage of scripture which you read to me, we find the disciples of the Lord Jesus trapped in the grips of a fierce storm. They find themselves in that storm because they had been commanded by the Lord. And I hope you hang on to, when, you, when I have you read the text to me, hang on to all the little pieces of it because we're probably going to touch on most of it one way or another. But they had been commanded by the Lord to cross the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side. So these men, notice this, they're in the will of God. They're obeying the Lord Jesus. They're in the will of God, and yet we see them struggling with a storm. Try as they might, uh, it appears that they're unable to make any headway whatsoever. The wind is in their faces, and, and, and they are stuck in a storm, and they're unable to get out. And I'm just wondering, have you ever found yourself in that place in life? Have you ever found yourself stuck in one of life's storms? And no matter how hard you try... No matter what you do, it just seems that you cannot make any headway. You try this 
action or you try this move or you, you try to do this or do that and nothing seems to maneuver you through in a forward direction through the storm that you're facing. Well, I want to remind you this morning that while storms are never pleasant, they do produce certain benefits in our lives that we would do well to take note of today. And that's why I've titled this sermon as I have, These Blessings Are Hidden in the Storm. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 gives us uh, some uh, good information. It says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. How many of you are having fun so far? It's going to get better, I promise. So I'm going to ask you, just for a couple of minutes, join me here with the disciples in their storm. Just go with me in your mind. And as we do, I want to show you that the storms of life do contain some hidden blessings for the children of God. Our text in the Gospel of Mark, which you read, displays the first of the nature miracles of Jesus. Say nature miracle. What's a nature miracle? It's obviously a certain type of miracle that's different from a healing miracle, dealing from different than an exorcism, which we saw Christ do in the New Testament, different from raising the dead. But what's interesting about this, with a nature miracle, we see Jesus demonstrating his authority over the natural forces of this world. How many of you know he has all authority in his hand? How many of you know that? (coughs) Excuse me. This episode that we've read today has some interesting parallels to the Old Testament story of, of Jonah. And when you read uh, the Jonah's story, which you know so well, juxtaposed to this uh, episode in the Gospel of Mark, both of them are very vividly and very graphically uh, described. In fact, many people feel like Mark's Gospel is one of the most vivid um, and poignant of, it is the most vivid and poignant of of all the Gospels, certainly of the synoptics. But here's the things that are alike. Jonah is asleep on a ship. In the story you read this morning, Jesus is asleep on a ship. Jonah is asleep while mariners are fearful for their very lives. Jesus is asleep while his disciples are fearful for their very lives. But that's pretty much where the similarities end, and here's why. Jonah is in a storm because of his disobedience. You remember the story, right? But the disciples are in a storm because they are obeying what Jesus told them to do. Excuse me. There's a lesson in that for us. A very important lesson that I hope you hang on today. Particularly, my heart is reaching out to those of you who are battling your way through a storm of life right now. But here's an important lesson. It's this. You can run into a storm even when you're doing right even when you're doing the right thing. When you're walking in obedience, you still can run into a storm as a child of God. How many know I'm telling you the truth today? So I'm going to ask you to consider with me uh, three points. The first is the power of the storm. The power of the storm. Would you say that? And the suddenness of, of the storm. 
The Sea of Galilee lies just a little bit less than 700 feet below sea level in a basin surrounded by hills and mountains. Those of you who've been there know it's very, very beautiful. The interchange between the cold upper air from Mount Hermon and the warm air rising from the Sea of Galilee produces these furious squalls of, of wind. The sea uh, can be perfectly calm one minute, and in the next minute can be feverishly violent, just, just like that. But isn't that kind of like life? Isn't that what we experience in living? One phone call, one email, one text, one 24-hour period, one doctor visit, one tick of the clock, and what was calm and serene in your life can turn violent in an instant of time. Do I have a witness in the house today? And the reality of it is this, that each of us is in one of these three conditions. You're either headed toward a storm today, or you are just coming out of a storm, or you are smack dab in the middle of a storm right now. I've come to encourage you today. I just wanted you to know that. Be encouraged with that. But whatever the situation, whether you're headed into one, coming out of one, or in the middle of it, let's agree on this today. God is still on the throne of heaven, and God is still in control even of the storm. Is there an amen today? Storms may come suddenly, and most often they do, but God is not surprised. How often those of us in ministry, and which includes all of you, when we're sharing with someone that has just hit a storm and it may have surprised them, we often say to them, but this has not surprised the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in knowing when I hit a rough day or a rough patch or news I wasn't expecting, it did not surprise the Lord, which means he has the grace to get you through it. Hallelujah for that. So storms come not only suddenly, but they can come with great severity. There are people I know in this room this morning who are suffering so severely that no matter what words of comfort we might try to offer you, you're going to have difficulty hearing anything that we might say. And someone else is suffering such insuperable sorrow this morning, all because of the loss of a loved one and someone you cherished and loved, maybe have done all of life with, is gone from your presence. But then, church, there are other things that happen with great severity. Sometimes we suffer the severity of a storm of our own creation. It remains true that storms can still come to us because of our own sin, which is just another nice way of saying it's your fault. Yes, there are those times when you're not bearing a cross, you're reaping a crop. Oh, I'm just bearing the cross. No, you're reaping the crop that you planted. And I might add, just because you doesn't look like you've gotten caught in it, because the, the storm hasn't happened to you today, please don't think that you've gotten away with it because God doesn't settle all of his accounts in one storm. And it is true, God does at times send the storms. He sent the storm in David's life. 
He sent the storm in Job's life. And there are times when Satan is allowed to bring a storm. My eye was caught recently by an article where a civil engineer was talking about people who build houses in a floodplain. And this engineer said, every storm is a natural disaster. And your insurance company probably calls it what? An act of... Every storm is a natural disaster, but every flood is man-made, the civil engineer said, because your house won't have to flood if you don't build it in a floodplain. You want to chew on that for just a minute? <laughs> every time a storm comes into your life, you ought to respond with the appropriate understanding that God has brought that storm into your life. But if it's a flood, it's coming from your enemy. What does the scripture say? When the enemy comes in like a... And then the enemy also knows how to flood you and make it look like a godly storm. Pardon me today. <clears throat> if it's a storm that's sent from God, here's the good news you can be assured that the sun is going to shine again. You can be assured the sun's going to shine, shine again. But if it's a flood that came from the enemy, you're probably not going to get out of it right away. Just be sure that you're in a storm and not in a flood. Because if it's, if it's a storm, God knows you're in it. But if it's a flood, then your enemy has sent it to keep you from giving God praise wonder how that's working out for him. That's the power of the storm. But I want you to see with me, secondly, the problem of the storm. <clears throat> Please hear me. The greatest storm that night on the Sea of Galilee was not the storm on the sea. The greatest storm that night in Mark chapter 4 that we read a moment ago was in the hearts of the disciples. Because according to the text... They doubted his goodness. They doubted his goodness. They said, Master, carest thou not? Or don't you care? Lord, don't you care? Because they were looking at the situation and not at the Savior. They were looking at the storm and not at the Savior. And believe me, I know I'm preaching this sermon to Dan before I'm preaching it to you. When your eyes are on the storm, it's very hard for you to see the Savior. How many know that's true? I understand the storm can come and occupy your attention and, and almost paralyze you and make it to where you can see nothing else. But you must understand, particularly if you find yourself there today and you feel like you can't see the Lord, you've got your eyes on the storm and you need to put your eyes upon the Savior. Is there an amen in the house for that today? They doubted his goodness. But then they doubted his grace. When they said, when they said Master, do you not care? They were doubting his goodness. But when they said, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? That's doubting his grace. Dear one, Jesus did not save you to abandon you when the storms of life get rough. Don't you care that I'm dying here? Master, do you not care that we're perishing? Everything's falling apart. 
He didn't bring you this far to leave you. He did not bring you this far to abandon you when things get rough. He didn't bring you out of darkness and into his marvelous, marvelous light to leave you when the seas get choppy. God will protect you even in the midst of your storm. Somebody give God praise for that today. They doubted his goodness. They doubted his grace. It's right in the text. They doubted his guarantee. Because he said, let's go over to the other side. He basically had guaranteed them. I just want to remind you of this. If God says, let's go over, you don't ever need to fear going under. Let me say that again. If God says, let's go over, you do not need to fear going under. You never need to fear the storm when it's in the hands of the one who loves you. Now, as much as you're not going to want to hear this, and as bad as I don't want to say it, it's still true. Storms are essential, I want to say necessary, to spiritual development. Am I telling the truth? You seasoned in God, people, they are essential to your spiritual development. Now, if you're like me, after we've had a storm in our area, I typically go out and check our little tree in the front yard, which we planted a couple of years ago. We did not have success with the previous tree that was there. We had to call out an arborist to pronounce it dead. <clears throat> we kind of thought, but we weren't sure. <clears throat> and that arborist tells us how to have it removed and how to be more successful with the next one. So if, if I'm honest, and if Becky's honest, and I think she will be about this, I've been quite fastidious in taking care of the new little tree uh, number one, it was expensive, and I didn't want it to die. So I've had the little 20-gallon watering bag around it and had the little anchors in place to secure it and all of that. And actually, in this process, while I, I know precious little about this, I have learned a couple of things, just a little bit, about how to properly grow a tree. And I learned that when the tree is still small and, and is, a, is a, a sapling, at some point, you really need to remove those chains and those restraints that you've put on it, trying to help it grow straight and upright. You're trying to get it all level, so they put uh, chains or, or, or wire or something of some kind. But if you're going to do the right thing, at some point, those restraints have to go. Because as long as those restraints are holding it back, that little sapling cannot rock from side to side when the wind blows. Now, why is that important? It needs to rock from side to side. And it's important to know uh, it, that when it becomes wind-tossed, because here's what you learn about the tree. When it's tossed from side to side, the roots grow deeper and the tree goes taller. Did you miss it? You need that to happen in your life. My little tree in the front needs to be rocked back and forth with wind that's blowing it. It's that rocking back and forth that makes those roots go down. It's that rocking back and forth that causes that tree to grow, grow taller. And dear one, if you're going through a storm today, you just need to understand that God has taken off those restraints from you. He's taken those chains off of you so that your roots can grow deeper and you can grow taller in the Lord Jesus. Somebody lift a hallelujah.
I'm going to be so bold and so strong as to say, you will never be a strong Christian until you've been wind-tossed. You'll probably not have a robust, glorious shout in your soul until you've been wind-tossed. I, uh, I need some support here. Who can testify that I'm telling the truth here? You probably will be less capable of giving God the glory that he deserves in your life and opening your mouth and lifting your hands in vibrant praise until the winds have blown on your life. Is there anybody in this room this morning who's been through the storm, has made it to the other side, and has a testimony in your mouth that sounds something like this? He's able! He's able! Our God is able. Say it out loud. He's able. Hallelujah. That's the power of the storm. That's the problem of the storm. But there is a purpose in the storm. Jesus was asleep in the midst of a furious storm Jesus is sleeping. Now, this is the only time in the Gospels that you hear of Jesus sleeping. Ask me why. Come on, you're going to ask me why? Why was Jesus in the midst of a furious squall, a hurricane, on the Sea of Galilee sleeping? Well, it's because there's a little principle here that goes like this. Restful sleep, despite danger, indicates trust in God. Ouch. Restful sleep, despite danger, is a very good indicator of solid trust in God. Well, let, me, let me back that up with some scriptures that might bless you. If you're taking notes, at least grab these references down. Psalm 3, verse 5, I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Bless the Lord. Proverbs 3, verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Church, when you trust God, genuinely trust God, and listen, I've lived enough life to know what I'm talking about here. When you trust God, then close that door, get in the bed, pull those covers up to your neck, and let it rain. Because when you trust God, your sleep can be sweet. Anybody in the house today who went to bed last night and said, Lord, I'm in your hands. I know it's raining outside, but it ain't raining in here. The wind may be blowing outside, but it's not blowing in here. Because God, I'm going to go to bed and I want to sleep because he that keepeth Israel, he shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade at thy right hand. 
The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. He shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. My help, all of my help cometh from the Lord. Somebody give God praise in the house for that today. The records will show that Dallas-Fort Worth has had more than its fair share of flooding, tornadoes, and hailstorms, along with, of course, our drought and our extreme heat that we have. Those of you who just moved here in the last few weeks, you've got a shock coming this summer. (laughs) We'll be glad to minister to you during that time. Give you some suntan lotion. Many of you have known what it is to have your home completely flooded. And when that happens, you're more than able to testify to what the water did do, and understandably so. In fact, that's probably pretty much all you're going to want to talk to me about is what the water did do. But if you'll take the analogy I'm about to give you and apply it spiritually to your life, let me tell you what the flood water that has hit your life didn't do. When we face these natural disasters, every television station, every radio station is programmed to tell us what the water is doing. But I'm standing here today to talk to those who are in the midst of a storm this very moment, and there are quite a few of you that I know of and many that I don't know of. I'm here to remind you again that even in your storm, God is in control. But let me tell you what I really came to tell you today Let me tell you what God told the water not to do. Do you believe he's in control? He tells the water, you get in the ditch, but you don't get in their yard. He says, you can get their yard, but you don't get on their step. Then he says, you get on the step, but you don't get in the house. If you get in the house, don't drown them because they belong to me. If the water got on you, I don't think anybody's getting this. If the water got on your street but, mo- but no further, you can thank God for that. If the water got in your ditch but no further, then you can thank God for that. If the water got, I don't know how you're applying it, but I hope you're applying it to your life. If the water got up to your step but no further than that, you ought to lift your hands and thank God for that today. If the water got in your house but no further than that, you can thank God for that. If the water took everything you have, you can still lift your voice to thank God because it could have taken your life. Master, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus is sleeping. And he would have stayed sleeping if someone had not called on him saying, Master, don't you care? And then when they raised that question, you understand they were bringing his character under investigation. Master, don't you care? Carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus got up because, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Their cry did what the storm could not do. He slept during the storm. But he got up when they cried out. He slept when the storm was raging. But it was not until they said, Master, that he got up. 
And I'm just saying to you this morning, if you're here this morning and there's a storm in your life, there's one word for you to cry out, Master! It may look like he's sleeping. That may be what it looks like to you or feels like to you, but he's waiting for you to cry out, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? And Jesus woke up, stood on that ship, raised his hand, and he said, Peace, comma, be still. Give me just a second to unpack this a bit. So I'm referencing the 39th verse of our Mark 4 text. Our text says that he rebuked the wind, if you'll look at it carefully. He rebuked the wind. He spoke to the wind as if it were a person. He spoke to the wind, here's our English lesson for today, second person singular was the way he spoke. Wind, you be still. You, second person. Wind, you be still. Now, not in the English, but in the Greek, Mark's very vivid gospel basically reads like this. If you examine the Greek, wind, hush up. There's a little Texan thrown in there just to tell. <laughs> he spoke to the wind, second person singular. He spoke to the sea, present perfect imperative. Wind, second person singular. Sea or waves, present perfect imperative. Now give me, let me put that together. It goes like this. Wind, I want you to hush. Waves, you lay down until I tell you to get up. And just like the disciples called upon the master, when the storms are raging in your life, all you need to do is to call on the name of the Lord. Call unto me and I will answer you, Jeremiah says. And I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And he will say when you call upon him, and you lift your voice, he will say to you, wind, I want you to hush. Waves, you lay down until I tell you to get up. And verse 39 of our text says this. And the wind ceased, and there was what? A great calm. But I have to, if I'm going to preach the whole gospel to you today. Listen, after he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the disciples. It's right here in our text. He said, why are you so fearful? Where's your faith? Those two rhetorical questions remind us that fear and faith cannot sit in the same boat. Can't happen. You have Jesus on board your ship, and you think he's going to let you drown? All you have to do is call him and he's going to get up. Somebody say, bless the Lord. I've mentioned often that I grew up in a pastor's home and there are certain stories that I heard my father share from the pulpit over and over and over again. One of them fits so perfectly right here. The late Reverend Nelson Smith was a brilliant black pastor from Birmingham, Alabama. This uh, story he told is that one evening he was quite late coming home from church only to discover that he had left his house keys 
on his desk in his church office, which was quite a distance away from his home. So, but when he got home, he discovered his wife was sleeping on the couch. He rang the doorbell. She didn't answer. He's locked out, doesn't have his keys. He knocked quite aggressively on the door. She remained asleep on the couch. He banged the screen door against the frame and she still wouldn't wake up. He found a, 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 a good-sized stick in the yard and he got under the house, which was built up on stilts, and he knocked underneath the place about where he thought the position of the sofa was and he's trying to make some noise and she, and she didn't wake up. And it's frightened him so much that then he ran across the street. He woke up his neighbors and he used their phone, this before cell phones, used their phone to call his house and he let it ring about 22 times and, and, and she, she didn't wake up. His neighbors got up. By this time, he and his neighbors are all afraid she's dead on the couch. They put on their, the neighbors put on their robes and ran across the street uh, back with him to the house because they all thought the worst has happened. And when they got to the door, they looked inside just to see her jump up from the sofa and run upstairs. When she came back downstairs, she opened the door and she said, Nelson, how long have you been standing there? He said, girl, what's wrong with you? I rang the doorbell and you didn't answer. She said, I didn't hear it. He said, I, I knocked on the door and you didn't answer. She said, I'm sorry, I just didn't hear it. He said, I even banged the screen against the frame. She said, Nelson, I did not hear it. He said, you see that stick in the yard? I got under the house with that stick and I banged on the floor right beneath the couch where you were sleeping. She said, baby, I did not hear it. He said, so I ran across the street and got the neighbors out of bed and, and we called and we left the phone. It rang 22 times and you didn't answer. She said, Nelson, I am so sorry, but I did not hear it. He said, when we came back across the street and looked in the house, you jumped up off the sofa and went upstairs. What made all that happen? She said, Nelson, I heard my baby cry. <laughs> Bethesda, if a mother has that kind of love for her child, if a mother can sleep through everything else, but the cry of her baby gets her attention, how much more does your heavenly father in heaven have love for his children? All you have to do is call him. I want you to stand with me today. Every one of you, hold steady just for a minute. I'm not going to be long. Every person I'm looking at from the balcony to the main floor, you're either about to head into a storm and you, you may know it, or you've just come out of one, maybe come out of one to head into another, or you recognize you're in the middle of a storm. With no shame or judgment to it, if that's you, if you're in one of those three, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Father, I lift this congregation before you today. 
And I thank you that we know the peace speaker. We know him by name. We know the one who controls the winds and the waves. And that when we will call upon the name of the Lord in our hour of distress, in our moment of trouble, you will answer and you will hear our cry and you will answer and you'll provide just the grace that we need. Lord, we're gonna embrace the truth today and that is that it's in storms that you strengthen us. You cause our roots to go down deeper in you. And we become taller in God when we walk through those kinds of experiences. So I pray, Lord Jesus, for the grace that every one of us need to walk this Christian life, even through the difficult moments. It's caught us off guard, it has surprised us, but it has not surprised you. And so we give you praise today that we are calling upon the one of whom we can say, he's able, he's able, my God is able. So today for that and that alone, we give you all praise, all honor, all glory in the name of Jesus. God's people, put your hands together and bless the Lord in this house today.